this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we are going to discuss Red-White in Lord of the Rings Limited. The notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes and getting into it. Uh, Red-White is basically like an average performing archetype, both in terms of like how often people draft it relative to other color combinations and its win rate. Uh, very middle of the road, not, in my opinion, something that you need to try to avoid drafting or something that you should really like go out of your way to draft. I think that most of the time that you draft it, it's going to be uh, because you saw Theoden at some point early in the draft. That's the three mana uncommon uh, two three human that uh, when a human enters gives a creature a double strike until end of turn. That's not the actual best uncommon in the set for red white uh that being um eomer the uh five four haste that makes a human when it attacks most of the time but it is a very 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 strong uncommon that of course puts you solidly in red white um barring that shadow facts can fill a similar role that's the uh five mana four four haste horse that can put a creature with less power from your hand onto the battlefield depth and attacking when it attacks Shadowfax is much weaker than Theoden, but still stronger than replacement level commons. If you have like a not especially strong early pack, then it can make sense to uh, speculate on Shadowfax and move into red white. I mean, obviously, of course, you know, red and white could just be the open colors and you can end up there without uh, like a signpost card pointing you there. But the most common reason that I'm going to be like trying to be red white from early in the draft is if I have. Uh, a red white gold card it could be either of the uncommons or it could be uh the rare eowyn the four mana three four haste that exiles a creature with more power than it when it enters the battlefield um and then gives your legendary creatures protection uh, until end of turn from the colors of the thing you exiled so that's what's going to put you in red white and then uh red white is basically like a typical wide aggro deck like you are going to have a lower more creature heavy curve then most of your opponents you're going to be looking to get in early damage and then you're not unlikely to find that you know in the mid game your opponent has larger creatures than you but you're in a spot where if you wanted you could attack with all your creatures maybe lose something and push a bunch of damage and you have to decide whether you want to make that attack or not and i think that there's no good rule on like when or how often you're going to want to sacrifice a creature to push damage, it's going to totally depend on the matchup, your deck, the situation. To the extent that you can, while you're drafting your deck, you sort of want to think about whether you're the sort of deck that wants to err toward like sacrificing creatures to push damage or not sacrificing creatures to play more of like a big game kind of game plan uh where you like go wide and then maybe have some kind of like overrun or anthem type effect that's going to make all of your creatures bigger for like a good attack later so th those are kind of the two different philosophies you could have about like how a like wide aggro deck fundamentally works are you just trying to like send in all of your creatures and some of them will die and that's okay because you'll push damage or are you trying to like build up to like a single big turn? And red white kind of has the tools to do both of those things, but 
the like single big turn like pump all your guys tools are mostly not great we're talking about things like esquire of the king and now for wrath now for ruin that both have the problem that they only give your creatures one additional power which isn't really that like game changing Birkenbrand, the 3-3 three, three for 4 uncommon human that gives all your creatures plus 1 plus 0 whenever a human enters is kind of the best way to do that like explosive like trumpet blast overrun type plan especially if you have multiple rally the hornbergs and you can potentially like hold one of them until you have Urkenbrand and then like play Urkenbrand and rally and like make your whole team huge and uh yeah the the eagles are another um eagles of the north are another good pump your whole team effect although again it's only plus one power all of that stuff kind of points more toward wanting to do the like push damage as your end game rather than like sacrifice creatures push damage get them low rather than the like go wide make your creatures big finish them off and then in addition to that you have the ring which is a good way to like push the last few points a lot of the time especially if you have these one one tokens and especially if you can get the ring up to high levels and then you also have access to improvised club uh, which is a very good way to just like deal the final points to your opponent especially if you're like in a spot where you're like alpha striking and then sacrificing a creature that they blocked that's going to die anyway which means that i think more often your red white deck is going to be like the pure aggro push damage sort rather than the like super big game uh go wide overrun sort um but both are hypothetically possible often when i'm in that spot where it's like okay is it time to attack with all my creatures or not the decision is kind of complicated by the fact that i have a ring bearer so like i can attack with that one creature safely and push damage anyway and then it's like okay am i happy to just like get this little bit of damage and play kind of like the black white game plan where you just like send a ring bearer in over and over or do I want to like attack with the rest of the creatures also lose something and push some damage? And like, again, there's not a good general answer to that. You just kind of have to figure out like whether the end is in sight. Like if you start throwing away creatures, can you see the finish line? And like, if not, like how much are you losing? How much does it set you back on trying to play a longer game? The more improvised club type reach you have, the more often you're going to want to like sacrifice creatures for damage while the more you know urken brands and eagles and stuff like that you have the better it might be to play it slow so you just want to be thinking about the contents of your deck while you're making those decisions and then also thinking about the contents of your deck with the expectation that you will be making those decisions in your games while you're drafting to you know maybe like lean one way or another so that your deck is more reliably going to draw cards toward one of those plans or the other so that you're better informed about which kind of game you want to play you know if you have like a mix of like clubs and urken brand and eagles and stuff then you're going to get to the spot where you're like okay am i supposed to make this attack i don't know 
if I draw one of these three cards, it'll be a lot better if I do. If I draw one of these three cards, it'll be a lot better if I don't. It's fine to just have a mix of cards and sometimes be able to draw the right cards. And also, you know, if you have a lot of attempt, you can discard the wrong ones to try to find the right ones. But it does help to just be thinking about that kind of stuff during the draft. As far as like individual cards, Rally the Hornburg, uh, the two mana make two humans and give your humans haste is the clear best common in this archetype by a lot. Arguably, you know, the best common or at least the best red common in the set in general. Where there's an argument, it would be someone suggesting that Smite the Deathless is better. In red-white, I don't think there's a question. Rally is the best by a lot. You should basically just always take Rally over any other commons, regardless of, like, your curve or any other real considerations. Like, the this is a Rally deck if you can get enough rallies for it to be a Rally deck. Similarly, Eomer, the 5-4 uh, haste for 5, is the best uncommon, and you should take it over all the other uncommons and over almost every rare. The only, like, exception, the only cards you should take over Eomer in this archetype are, like, Horn of Gondor, Anduril, the Mythic Sword, Palantir, the Mythic Scry Artifact, and uh, Rare Eowyn, the 3-4 Haste Exile Creature. As I mentioned, Theoden's great, but Theoden's, you know, not top, top tier. It's not as good as, like, Eomer or Fearfire Foes, even if you are in this archetype already. And there are a lot of other, like, top-tier uncommons that you should take over speculating on Theoden if you're not already solidly red-white. And then Shadowfax is good, like it's better than most commons, but it's not as good as the top red uncommons. But, you know, like I said earlier, they're both like good reasons to draft red-white if you're, you know, open at the point where you see them. If you do have Shadowfax, uh, you really want to prioritize Eagles of the North. Uh, Shadowfax putting Eagles of the North into play is very real and very worth building around. Um, if I have a single Shadowfax, I would take Eagles over all but the top commons because the cost of putting Eagles in my deck is so small. Like they're generally going to be good in my red-white deck anyway. And if I have several of them, then it's really easy to just like have a game where I, you know, set up Shadowfax into Eagles, given that Shadowfax costs less mana than Eagles anyway. I'm not really going out of my way to do this. Um, and then you have a, like, really, really good, often game-winning attack. So, as I mentioned, even if you are thinking that you're more like the wide deck, you have a bunch of token makers, you should still almost always avoid Now for Wrath, Now for Ruin, and even Esquire the King. The cards are just not very good. Urkenbrand, the uh, human that I mentioned earlier, the 4-mana 3-3 that pumps your guys and a human comes into play, has like solid stats, but not exceptional. Um, it can definitely seal some games if you have it, especially if you have multiples of it in your deck. You really want to think about how you're playing your cards and whether you want to like sandbag some cheap humans for some explosive turns. If adding more creatures to the board is not likely to immediately affect combat on either side, it's totally reasonable to just keep some cre uh, cheap creatures in your hand for more Urkenbrand triggers. I suspect that uh, like the stats on Urkenbrand are slightly lower than they could be due to players not making that kind of play. I definitely think it's worth looking for. On the subject of this like, you know, f fork in your strategy about like, well, now my opponent has a good blocker. Am I supposed to keep attacking or not? 
I don't want to overstate how much like that should be determining your like thought process or how you're drafting or like what portion of games go that way or like how much you need to build around that decision point because I do think that like when things go really well your opponent never gets to that point like they're never stable uh if you're making like this attack where you're losing something it's a spot where like your opponent's either trading with something that would do a million damage to them or chumping something that would do a ton of damage to them or they're like going to you know low single digit life total and like eating a one one and taking a big hit because you have you know some kind of like explosive extra creature that like added a bunch of power to an attack like Eomer or Theoden um, or Urkenbrand. The the reason that red white is good is not just that you have you know this like low curve early stuff that can push damage like rally it's that you have a good density of like uh explosive mid-game uh creatures that have an immediate impact that uh make blocking hard and it's not just like shadow facts and theoden and eomer um like you know you can get a similar effect with even like east farthing farmer the two three that makes a food and pumps something until end of turn can give you a safe attack where you wouldn't otherwise have one and so like your good red white draws you know your opponent's never going to stabilize you're just going to run them over um so uh you know there's an argument that taking too much of the like what do i do after my opponent stabilizes like prioritizing uh clubs or eagles or whatever too highly is mm, sacrificing too much from your like core aggro but not like rock bottom curve aggro but like smooth curve aggro plan where you just like you know curve out like two through five and then they're dead or whatever so anyway uh more on just like general card valuation stuff after rally at the hornberg the commons you're looking for are errand rider of gondor the three mana three two that uh draws a card and then if you don't have a legend puts a card back protector of gondor the four mana three three that makes a one one and smite the deathless the two mana red removal spell over everything else those things are all super 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 close in quality just take them as you know your curve or the needs of your deck dictate if you have a lot of legends take errand rider more highly if your curve's a little high or you need you don't you lack interaction take smite a little more highly if you don't have fours and you do have like go wide type stuff then protector more highly and then beyond that you're looking for just like other you know solid commons uh improvised club the uh sack of thing deal for instance rohirrim lancer the one one menace that uh tempts when it dies east farthing farmer the hobbit that makes a food the two three that pumps something uh relentless rohirrim the four mana four three that tempts when it enters Heradrim spearmaster the two three reach that pumps uh human beginning to combat quarrel's end the draw two discard one make a human and then for two drops battle scarred goblin and eastmark cavalier that's the two two goblin that does damage to a blocker and the two two vigilance human that kills uh orcs that it fights in general i don't think that you want to prioritize non rally at the hornberg and smite the deathless two drops very highly outside of like good uncommon and rare two drops just because there are a lot of common two drops and like the best ones are not 
substantively better than the weaker ones. So like you're just going to get enough two drops and you want to prioritize the good three and four drops because uh, there's just a larger gap in quality between having like the right ones and the wrong ones there. Also with Protector of Gondor on the subject of like things that make you value stuff more highly, obviously Urkenbrand and Theoden are both great reasons to value Protector of Gondor more highly. Or if you're just playing like the human equipment, the uh, plus two, plus one equipment that has equipped human one, Durindan Blade or whatever. That card, I don't think you should look to play, but I think it's acceptable to play one uh, if you have like a lot of tokens and you're looking for a way to like make them a little more significant. Escape from Orthanc, the plus one, plus three untapped flying trick is also good. So are Eagles and Oliphant and War Beast of Gorgoroth, the five mana five four that uh, when a creature with four or more power dies, you amass two. A lot of random playables, pretty much the standard, you know, good red and white cards, um, nothing too surprising there. As with most decks in this format, I think you'll generally perform better if you have a solid Tempt package, but uh, you want to pay attention to, you know, how much Tempt you have as the draft is going. If you get to the middle of the draft and it doesn't look like you're on track to have at least five Tempt cards at a minimum, you should consider just forgoing Tempt entirely. If your card quality is high without it, like you really don't need Tempt in this archetype. Um, you're looking to play short games, uh, which means that you're not going to like draw a lot of cards to find all the Tempt anyway, and you're not going to like have enough different turns for like the looting to matter. Like if the game ends on turn six, like Tempt just doesn't matter. Getting into uh, overplayed cards that you should probably consider avoiding. Um, this again is just looking at 17 lands, how often uh, cards are played relative to how well they perform. Now for Wrath, now for Ruin, the four mana sorcery that puts a plus one plus one counter on all of your creatures and gives them vigilance and tempts. Uh, slip on the ring, the flicker that tempts you. Banish from Adorus, the uh, five mana exile sorcery that costs less mana if the creature is tapped. And Took Reaper, the two one that tempts when it dies all uh, underperform and are played a little too frequently in red-white. And then uh, cards that are not played very much relative to how well they do that you should maybe consider playing instead. Escape from Orthanc, the plus one plus three trick. Uh, East Farthing Farmer, the two three that makes a food. War Beast of Gargaroth, uh, the five four for five. And Breaking the, fe uh, the Fellowship, the uh, two mana, a creature deals damage to another creature, and then you tempt spell. Interesting note there that, you know, while Slip on the Ring and Took Reaper are overplayed, uh, Breaking the Fellowship is underplayed, which means that it's not that, like, tempt consistently and reliably underperforms so much as, like, people aren't necessarily even putting the right tempt cards in their red-white decks. That wraps it up. That covers what I had to say about this going in. So uh, now I'm going to turn it over to Twitch chat to help me round this out. While I'm uh, waiting for that, I want to thank uh, my newest patron. Excited to have another new patron, uh, Theo McCoy. Thank you very much. And, you know, suggest again to all the other listeners that if you are not a patron and uh, you've been enjoying this podcast and want to help out, uh, please consider checking out the Patreon, joining the Patreon, uh, and or 
leaving reviews or just uh, sharing links with your friends. Um, all that stuff really helps out the podcast. All right, so questions. Is it possible that breaking gets played in some decks with more tempt uh, other cards than the other two? Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't know what the specific data set looks like. Maybe people are playing Took Reaper just like as a two drop when they don't have a lot of tempt and they're only playing Breaking the Fellowship when they really mean it. If it's true that that's happening, that could account for that difference. But I don't have any clear reason to believe that that's what's going on. Breaking the Fellowship does benefit somewhat from the fact that like you probably aren't playing that much removal, so it's more likely that your opponent's just going to like have some creatures and you know they're likely to be like leaving them back also like you know the fact that you might be like attacking with a bunch of little guys might let like breaking the fellowship plus one of your guys combine to kill like a larger like maybe you'll get to kill their best creature instead of their second best creature or something like that how do you evaluate slash how often do you play shire sheriff in red white found it was very easy to obtain tokens I think Shire Sheriff, that's the uh, Humanity 2 Vigilance that lets you sacrifice a token to exile something for as long as you control Shire Sheriff, is good to prioritize since, you know, worst case, it's pretty similar to Eastmark Cavalier. It's not a human. It doesn't have the orc text. If you don't sacrifice something to it, it is worse, but not disastrously worse. And if you have Shire Sheriff, I do think that you should a little bit more highly prioritize East Farthing Farmer so that you can sacrifice a food rather than sacrificing a creature token. But even if your tokens are just one ones, there are going to be some spots where it's like risky to sacrifice a one one to exile your opponent's big creature because then if they kill the Shire Sheriff, you're just down an extra creature. But if your opponent has, you know, an amass army, even if it's only a two two, and sometimes it's going to be quite a bit bigger than that. Uh, sacrificing a human to get rid of it is going to like guaranteed trade up on value considerably. And I think that like those spots or just the spots where maybe your opponent has a removal spell, but you've cleared a large blocker for a turn are enough to make Shire Sheriff like considerably better than the other commons. Obviously, if it's like late in the draft and you're really bad at making tokens, then you can skip Shire Sheriff. But I think that Early in the draft, I'm going to, you know, be interested in taking it and drafting around it. But I'm also, when I'm playing the games, not going to be, like, married to the idea that I have to, like, find a way to get value out of it. And, like, if I don't have another two drop, I'm certainly just going to cast it on two. Do I think red or white uncommons or rares are the only way to move into red white? No. I mean, like, I think that both Rally at the Hornburg and uh, Errand Rider of Gondor are commons that I'm looking to pick up. And if I just like see a bunch of, you know, some mix of those and uh, Protector of Gondor and Smite the Deathless, you know, you could end up here just by like taking good commons and those commons happen to be in red white. Like, I think that. The red and white, like the gold uncommons and the gold rares are the thing that is going to make me like fight to find a way to get into red white. But, um, you know, just like following signals and taking the best cards in the pack can, you know, basically lead you to any two colors. Is Horn of the Mark completely unplayable? Would a two one be, would a plus two plus one blade be a better inclusion? 
I don't know. I know that Horn of the Mark has bad stats overall, but I also know that it's like a colorless artifact that can easily be very wrong for your deck. And I know that, for example, Elven Chorus also has very bad stats, but I've had really good experiences with it in the right deck. So similarly, I could imagine that if, for example, you have a lot of uh, Rohirrim Lancers, the 1-1 Menace creature, that Horn of the Mark gets a lot better. If, in addition to having a bunch of Rohirrim Lancers that make it easier to attack with two creatures, for those who don't know, Horn of the Mark is the two-mana artifact that if you attack with two or more creatures, you can look at the top five cards of your library and put a creature from among them into your hand. So if, in addition to having uh, some you know cheap, evasive creatures that are going to make it easier to trigger it, you also have really high-value creatures to find. Um, any of these good legends we've been talking about, for example, or just Protector of Gondor that you're going to be, that's going to be a high-impact card that's going to make it easier to trigger again. I could certainly see having a deck where I wanted to try it with the mark. I think that you should be very careful with it. I think you shouldn't play it unless your deck is, like, Unless you have reason to believe that your deck is considerably better positioned for it than the average deck that would think about playing it, but I I, I could certainly see it having its moments. If I ever had a successful red white deck that wasn't human synergy based, I have not personally played red white all that much, so I don't remember for sure. I think that a vast majority of red white decks will use some human synergies. But I could see one that was like more reliant on uh, legend synergy, for example, where like some of them happen to be humans, but like that's not exactly the main thing going on, especially if this is like a, you know, mountains, plains and multiple great halls, red, white and friends kind of deck or like a heavy tempt deck where like your cards care about tempt more than they care about humans i guess how do you feel about the white saga that tutors up legends in this deck that's the white rare uh war of the last alliance i think uh three and a white twice you search for a legend then all of your creatures get double strike and the ring tempts you i think that card is fantastic i think it is uh way better if you have shadow facts i think you know, find whatever, and then next chapter find Shadow Facts, and then play Shadow Facts and use Shadow Facts to put whatever into play, and then get Double Strike the following turn is really, really good. So, yeah, I mean, I think War of the Last Alliance is, you know, like a rare that I would take over all but the top uncommons and uh, very much look to play it in red-white. I'm not really concerned with, like, taking a turn off to draw cards because I think that you more than make up for it on your double strike turn. And since the red-white gold cards are so good, it's very, very easy to end up in a spot where uh, you have really good creatures to find with it. And specifically where you have good creatures that combine well, and like being able to find two of them like gives you a combo. So yeah, I, I'm very high on that saga in red-white in particular, and also in general. Boris, I've run into the problem of, with drawing my expensive cards first. Do you think this archetype needs to draw their spells in the correct order more than other archetypes? I think that in general, aggro decks are 
more likely than control decks to need to draw their cards in the right order because the game is like that they're looking to play is more compact and they're less likely to have anything that's like going to smooth their draw out. So like just fewer draws and seeing fewer cards means that like everything averages out a little bit less. Of course, there are steps that you can take to minimize your exposure there, such as uh, more aggressively mulliganing and or playing fewer expensive cards in your deck to begin with. But, uh, you know, there, there certainly are a number of four and five mana cards that this deck really wants to highly prioritize. And uh, there will be spots where, you know, if you draw a bunch of those and you don't draw a decent curve, you can run into problems. So I guess I would just say, you know, be careful about keeping an opening hand on the strength of a card like Shadowfax or Eomer. While those cards are really, really good, you are an aggressive deck at heart. You do need to make sure, first and foremost, that you're going to curve out uh, rather than like keeping a hand uh, where, you know, maybe you have like a removal spell, a four drop and a five drop or something. Um, you need to really think about like whether your deck has enough power that you want to like get into that kind of like guaranteed late game that that hand is setting you up for and uh you know be willing to like sometimes mulligan hands even if they have like single strong cards in them if they aren't uh contributing to playing the kind of game that your deck wants to play so with that i'm gonna wrap it up thank you again everyone for tuning in uh thanks especially to chat for questions and that's gonna be it for uh this week i will be back next week with uh, another color combination and i'll see you then bye everyone prepare for light speed